Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes. Today, we are recapping Wheel of Time, Season 2, Episode 2. This one's called Strangers and Friends, which is pulled from the book Eye of the World. It's a chapter title there. They're just kind of going wild and loose with the chapter titles and with the episode titles, which, you know, I'm all for it. It passes go, in my opinion. And with me today, as usual, is my co-host from MLMPod.com, from Mostly Speaking Sentai, and from being the Marshland Monster, it's James. Ahoy there, James. Ahoy, find water and shade, why don't you? I love it. What, what, what? I accidentally hit the mic, that's my bad. I would love it if there was a just absolute spoiler of a chapter title from the books and they're they're like oh yeah let's call it um <laughs> rand the dragon nevermore because it was transferred to a naive and it's like whoa whoa one is, is this now an anime because it has that long ass title and two why are you telling us this yeah that's right like a chapter title such as like the death of Perrin, or uh-huh. <laughs> like matt gets stabbed you know well like, <laughs> he should <laughs> Well, yeah. How did you watch ahead, or have you only watched uh, episode two? Just episode two, the attack of the clones. Yeah, they were attacking some clones in the White Tower. I loved this one. This was a good setup episode, but I actually enjoyed this one more so than the last episode. I would score it a couple points higher. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm loving this show. It's it's very good. I I'm like it, it's just a rocking time. Uh, Heather agrees with us, which is unusual that she would be on board and that she wants to continue watching. She wanted to watch ahead to episode three. She's eager to watch episode four now, which comes out tonight. We're recording this on September 7th, so we'll Uh get to watch episode four if we so choose tonight. September 7th, never forget. Never forget. And (laughs) yeah, we got some good setups for like Nynaeve. Um, She's set up to be going through the arches later. The Horn Hunters are definitely in a little pickle right now. Mm-hmm. Rand and Matt are pretty much be just being set in motion. And yeah, Egwene's making friends and having drinks. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and get on with the recap. Um, if you're ready to get on with it, we got a little bit of listener feedback this week. <gasps> and of course, we're going to talk about our favorites and our least favorites. But for now, let's go ahead and get to that recap. Ooh, uh, you, oh, no reviews or anything. Oh, yeah. Um, I did not check any reviews this week. Um, I know that I enjoyed it, so I'll, I'll give it a, let's see, I'll give it a, a, a three and a half out of five stars. Uh, did you check any reviews this week? Yeah, and currently this episode is sitting at 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. And okay. the only, like, there's only three bad reviews on this, which they're, no, they're three out of tens. One's just saying, it's definitely a show. Uh, it's sure now is. officially gone from this is offensively bad apta- adaptation to this isn't the wheel of time at all. Please read the books. I swear they're good. Yes, yeah, so is this. It's yeah. fine. Just who gives a Christmas? Okay. The, oh, oh, I can't. I can't read Marvel's What If because oh, Howard the Duck is Deadpool. <laughs> 
No, it's fine. It, things things can be different and you can still like them. Well, over on patreon.com forward slash MLM pod, we're ramping up to do Powerpuff Girl Z. That's the Japanese ah. ad the anime adaptation of Powerpuff Girls. I'm not gonna sit through there saying, Oh my god, they're not sisters. <laughs> what the hell? No, I'm gonna say, Hello, I, I like I enjoy this. Wait, they're not sisters in um in Dragon Balls and like in uh, Powerpuff Girls Z? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. I need to check that out then because I, I had no idea. Yeah, see? And instead of saying, oh, my God, it's bad. Craig McCracken rolling his grave. <laughs> He's not dead. Uh, what's going on? No, it's fine, you pieces of crap. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they uh, how they handle that and how it compares. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. compare and contrast, people. I'm going to see if Wheel of... Well, you're talking. I'm going to see if Wheel of Time Purist has said anything about this. Um, okay. Well, I'm talking. I didn't have anything to say because I didn't look up any reviews and not ready to go into the recap yet. And I've already gone over my pre notes here. So wheel of time purist. I hope you're out there. I hope you're maybe either not watching season two because you've given up and you've put your effort elsewhere, or, you know, maybe you're getting turned around and you're enjoying it. And that's why you're not giving us reviews. They Um, have, they have not submitted a review since the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, episode oh. one, season one. Okay. So they w- will. Okay. Just out of curiosity, how are they looking over there? Oh, well, the power. soundtrack may be okay. I don't know what to say positive, except the music <laughs> sounds good. That said, it's way too loud, drowns out the dialogue, and gets way too noisy, unlike the others. <laughs> Lots of unnecessary visuals. I thought the waterfall scene would be an important one. It's not. It's no, the Lord of the Rings scene under the mountain had purpose. Climb the mountain or risk the underworld. The one will, the one, this one, we will never know if it had any. It just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Are any listeners good with the animation? I would love to see that animated because that was pretty good. Like your voice, I'd like to see what kind of, uh, what kind of character we come up with visually for that character that you were, <laughs> you were being the wheel of time purist right there. Weren't you? Yeah. Okay. Also they say the story is, do you agree with any of this? The story is too intense, too quick. One hero and girl power energy, too large, too quick. Give us something to care about. Oh, the, okay. So it's a, so it's girl power. This man, this person, uh, you like Wheel of Time, but you hate women. I don't understand what your <laughs> issues are, sir. I don't know. We can move on from Wheel of Time, Pierce, especially because yeah. he hasn't talked in a while. So, you know, we're just we're angry men shot into the clouds right now, James. Let's get our recap going. Uh, we're starting out here. We're in the city of Carheen. I want to say city of Carrion, but I'll just say Carheen's. It seems right. Ran awakens from a bad dream where he kills his four best friends. Um, but we know it's a dream. He's hearing whispers in his mind. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, he's sleeping with the beautiful Celine. It's seemingly for room and board. It seems like he's kind of being a, you know, uh, I don't want to call him a himbo here, but 
it seems basically that's what he's doing is he's sleeping for his uh his rent money. <laughs> uh-huh. I I was like, this is how you know a woman wrote this episode because of the line, <laughs> hey, you still uh, she says, hey, make sure you come home tonight. You still owe me for room and board. And I'm thinking about charging interest. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's a working man, though. He has he has to go out and work. And that's something Celine says, too. Is she's like, it's always the same ending every night or every morning. That, mm-hmm. That's stability, baby. That's like that's what it's yeah. all about. You know, what's wrong with that, Celine? Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I did think I'm now against the dark one because, like, what a complete douchebag to be constantly every single night giving someone, just one person over and over again, the most (laughs) realistic and horrific nightmares nonstop. Yeah, so you're against that. Yeah, because I'm against that, too. People should have, like, you know, a a good night's sleep and not have to wake up and stare out the window and listen to voices whispering their heads. Two, two times a two times a week? Uh, yeah, that's fine. That's reminding him. That's right. Yep. Well, Rand fortunately, like when he wakes up and goes about his day, he gets some instant karma cuz like he gives a, a little kid a a coin and a little toss on the head and immediately gets tossed some some breakfast. Somebody throws a a pita bread at him. Um, we can see that Karheen is still being built because there's like some scaffolding on some pikes, either a building that's new or it's maybe being repaired from, ah, just realize this, it's probably still being repaired from the war because this is where the a, a war took place about 20 years ago. And these people work kind of slow. They don't have the same kind of machinery we have. They're doing everything by hand. What, they don't have eyes to die? There aren't construction worker eyes to dies, and they're the, 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 it's the reflective orange Aja. Well, they did um, have a hand in building the White Tower using the one power for that, but they're, they're not contractors. They're not, there, they're not there trying to make money. They're just trying to make their own thing and let everybody else do their thing. Okay. It's really the Ogiers who should be building this stuff. No, uh-uh. Well, the Ogiers are the builders. He gets called the builders later. And that's like one of their greatest like pride is like okay. the buildings that they make. They're really if into the, it. If they're okay with it, that's fine. But if people are like, oh, yeah. hey, man, you're like good at this. You should do it. <laughs> no, like that, that is like one of their true purposes. And they don't do it much. In, they get into it in the books, James. They maybe get into it in the shows. I'm not going to get t- too much into it now. But yeah, they do really enjoy building and they enjoy building really nice intricate um architecture they don't like Mm -hmm. slapping together like just plank wood because that's something loyal always kind of looks around at like these shitty houses in the books and it's kind of like okay Uh, (laughs) i think me and my brothers could do better so i don't know if rand cut his hair to be like oh no one will know that i'm a Mm -hmm. tarvlon is that what they're called uh taverin that's (laughs) what it is yeah (laughs) Is that why he cut his hair? I, I think it's two reasons. Yes, he is trying to hide, but he is calling himself Rand. Everybody knows him as Rand. Mm-hmm. So he's doing a bad job of like changing his name. I think it might be like a real world reason. And correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but he, um, at the same time he was filming this, he was also filming Gran Turismo. And his character in Gran Turismo has a shaved head. Okay. Because I was going to say... As last season, 
I was like, wait, he has red hair? What are you talking about, Steve? If he's trying to hide the fact that he's a... <laughs> oh, Taver- Taverin. There we go. It's doing a bad job because the red pops so much more with a buzz cut. <laughs> uh, you're kind of right, yeah. Um, well, we do know um, that you have to be checked into the city. You can't just stroll in there and... Celine obviously lives on the outskirts of the city. I think they call it, uh, I don't remember what they call it, the outskirts. <laughs> um, do you remember the specific phrase they use for the area she lives outside the, the gate? I'm pointing at you for terminology. Of course, I don't remember <laughs> what they called that. It's fine. Not a big deal. Uh, but we do know, we learn here before we go to their next scene that Rand is working at a mental health institute. It seems like he's a nurse of some sort, but he is also hearing voices. That's pretty apparent, um, at the beginning of the scene and the end of the scene, because we're, he's listening to voices in his head. Hey guys, go listen to my new album. <laughs> Our next scene, we've got Moraine and Lan. Uh, they have been healed at this point. They're hanging out at Adelius in Baron's house. <laughs> Adelian wants to heal Lan even more. She's all like bending over <laughs> at his crotch, like begging for more healing from him. I heal through the pee hole. <laughs> Let me heal through your steel. <laughs> she, oh, Nynaeve is being ice cold to land at this point um that's not naive oh it's not moraine is that who that is yeah (laughs) moraine yes go ahead one thing that i really liked about this to show realism that i've never seen in other fantasy is that they look haggard because although they've been healed you should still like the wound has been healed but your body is still having to deal with this trauma so i like that your body is still spent after being healed because they were both stabbed multiple times 12 hours ago yeah not long ago at all so they i don't know why they're sitting there in each other's company if they're like so like (laughs) pissed off at each other they probably should be in separate rooms i would think i think because they're waiting to leave and they are just Ah, exhausted they're not going to they're like oh i'm already out here i'm not leaving yeah uh heather and myself helped her mom move a couple days ago and it was incredible humidity incredible heat and when we got home we were exactly like these two just immobile couldn't move could barely speak but yeah, Moraine is being pretty ice cold to land here. She plans to go to the White Tower, specifically without land, although she has been exiled. Viren plans to go with them, which is interesting. Um, Viren knows that she's been exiled, but she's willing to go anyway. Mm-hmm. The Horn Hunters. We get the Horn Hunters. They're following Elias as he tracks Padden Fane, and he must track on foot, which enrages Uno, of course. He's super sensitive, and he's pissed off that they have to go so slow. Ingtar, Mr. Reasonable, is okay with this, and he's trying to placate Uno. 
Well, specifically, one of them was like, oh, it's he's just sniffing the air. This isn't real tracking. And I was like, that's like Henry. When he smells something walk into the room, he'll just like right. sniff. Or when someone opens a window that he's near, he just sniffs the air. That's what animals do. And their noses know that a cracker that they like is near. Right. You're up on that horse top. You're going to be smelling all horse and you won't. You'll mm-hmm. be above everything. So he, he leads them over to a crossing at the river. They have to cross on foot. And this is where um, Ingtar leaves Loyal with the horses. He says the builder will stay with the horses. Loyal is okay with that. Uh, they approach a fort. There's a woman up in the building hiding. We never see her or hear anything about that, but Perrin spies her. Uh, Perrin's using his wolf sight to see that there was a mass murder that happened here. And he can see like what had happened around and he accuses Elias of this new site that he has. He says, I don't know what you're doing to me to Elias, like kind of accusing him as if he's like slipping him mushrooms or something, mm-hmm. or I don't know, but he's, but he's putting the blame squarely on Elias instead of himself. There's two middle fingers to him says, get out of my mind's eye. <laughs> This is helpful, though. I don't know why he would be upset because, like, I I mean, I know it's not wonderful what he's seeing here, and it's probably confusing trying to differentiate between reality and, you know, what he saw in the past, but it's pretty damn useful, I got to say. Yeah, this is how you can tell one from one. In normal reality, people aren't like their opacity hasn't been slid to like 80 percent and they don't leave like a little tail of a trail behind them (laughs) whenever they move like through the air. Well, I mean, if he was on shrooms, which we're thinking that Elias slipped him, then he would be seeing those trails behind him. I've done it before. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you see that a little, you see all those trails like reality and fantasy. It's fun. When I started up Apple TV on uh, the Roku to watch a little bit of that one show playing house with Lennon Parham, (laughs) Jessica St. Clair, Mm -hmm. it didn't kick in. I was waiting for hours. And then when I clicked onto that, I saw the Apple logo. And then all of a sudden it just went zoomed out at me. I was like, (laughs) oh, fuck, Nicole, it actually worked. (laughs) Oh, no. I just had to wait three hours. Was your hang time? Are you being are you exaggerating or was your hang time actually three hours? was pro- it was probably like two to two and a half hours. Yeah, I've I've dealt with like an hour to an hour and a half before, but never longer than that, man. That's I, wild. I think it's because I don't have stomach acid because of omeprazole, and even right. like edibles take a long ass time. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot that fact about you, James. And now our listeners know as well. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. give James some time when you give him some edibles. Give him a little yeah. bit of time to to get in there. But because I've done shrooms before, I can track real well. I'm sniffing the air. (laughs) Uh, Uno finds out that there was a dark friend there. He says they left in a hurry because they left their food. Masima's like, "Mm, not Masima. Elias doesn't agree with that. Masima is the guy with like the, uh, he's got the vest on with his muscles sticking out and his hair slicked back. Remember I said I didn't like him last episode, but I do like him this episode. He's the guy who finds the murdered fade and he leads us over to where there's a fade that's been like, I don't know. It looks like he's been crucified on the board mm-hmm. and 
we're wondering who can do that because they're like the strongest creatures that we have seen so far because the Trollocs are the ones that like listen to the Murderalls, Fades, that is. So, so yeah, go what, ahead. What I was thinking, I was like, oh, is it the Music Man? Right, you, you're, t- <laughs> you're talking about Pat and Fane, right? The whistling no, no, dude. No, the Music Man. Okay. That we what? thought died. Oh, Tom. but he might be. But then I was like, well, maybe he he could be a dark friend because you know all the things set okay. them up in order for what's his Matt to look like a murderer. We don't know, but maybe he. We've seen him kill people in a uh, pretty glorious fashion before. Right. Maybe he's going around stabbing because people are starting the wheel threads and everything's linked. Later on, we'll see someone else from the previous season all of a sudden show up. So it could be him, maybe. But at for, after watching this, I was like, well, maybe it was that group of people from, you know, the ending. But no, mm-hmm. the dark one is technically with them. So mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense. Why would he be killing one of his preciouses? Yeah, I don't understand either. And Perrin guesses Pat and Fane did it. I don't know if Pat and Fane would have the 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 strength to do such or the power. We haven't seen that kind of power in him yet. And why um, would he? What's that? And why would he? Maybe they had some kind of dark friend disagreement about okay. something. I mean, I can't think of any reason either. I kind of like your, <laughs> I like your answer the best if it was Tom, because Tom was battling one of these fades the last time we saw him. And if Tom was able to kill that fade, there's no reason why he couldn't kill this one too. Yeah, because maybe he heard screaming happening. He went there. Everyone moved out, but there was a fade still behind. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, man, I got to kill you, and I'm going to make an example of you. <laughs> this is what happens when you mess with music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we do know just from actor and IMDb notes that Tom's not going to be present in season two, but he will be in season three. Okay. So, you know, it could be written in the notes. You you. It's still in the realm of possibility. I don't uh, think this this won't be a, a this will be paid off this season. I hope so. Like the mystery of like who did this. Yeah, I loved when he took that sword and he like examined his teeth and stuff. That's like the first time any of them could actually check out that murder all and check out the fate because usually they see them and they fight them real quick and then run away. This is an mm-hmm. opportunity to. Just like last episode, Ingtar wanted to learn more about what makes dark friends tick. Here's another example. See, I'm just very nervous and worried about Wheel of Time because this could end up being like when Jaws came out, everyone was going out hunting sharks in the real world. (laughs) What if people start doing that with murderalls? I don't know. That would be devastating to their population. I think it would... And the Trollocs would suffer as well because they're mm-hmm. the ones who were dependent on the murder laws. It's all like a chain of events. Yeah. Please, yeah, please don't. Think think before you do such. I do like this house, though, this like area. It was giving off hella vampire vibes. <laughs> in a lot of vampire movies, you'll see setups like this, especially in that, that movie Vampires with a dollar sign, John Carpenter's, that had a house like this. Yeah, I'm picturing this as like a like an estate that like one one family lives here, but they live in separate houses. Like there's like the the grandfather lives there and the kids live in the adjoining properties. 
That's mm-hmm. what I'm guessing this is. And like, they just massacred the whole family that was there, but there's one person up in the, the window. They never explored that later on. We're kind of left hanging on that one. Oh, I thought that was just his visions. I guess it could have been actually. Yeah, I guess we didn't get an answer, so I'm going to move on to the next scene. Uh, Ran, this is Ran when he's working with Errol. Errol is a former Blade Master, and as we see, Ran is very good at talking to you know people who are delusional. We learned about the ale war and the ale discrimination. Because uh, Errol mistakes him for an I, I see, keep saying Ale because that's how it looks, but it's Aiel. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, we know the Aiel War has been over for twenty years, and we know that this fellow has been showing Rand some sword forms, and he know he's battled. He's he's like a leftover from the Aiel battle, and he's battled. I don't know if he's battled Aiel hand to hand, but he's de- definitely been around them enough to know about them. Who are the Aiel again? Uh, they're the ones with the red hair and they wear, we haven't really met any proper Aiels yet. Wait, I um, thought they were Tavs. <laughs> Tav- <laughs> Taviran? Yeah. Okay. Taviran is like describing like the, uh, the, how a person is, how a person's vibe is. Rand, Matt, Perrin. Oh, are... okay. I meant the redheads. Yeah, I yield. Oh, back when I wasn't talking about the Tarvlonians, I was talking about <laughs> the I yield. That's mm-hmm. why he shaved his head. Is he trying mm-hmm. to hide the fact that he's one of them? I guess it's possible, but like you said, it's like coming through so well, and everybody can look at his red hair and see. Mm-hmm. And he's his pubes are everywhere in the bathroom. <laughs> Yeah, so it's still a mystery why he shaved his head, but uh, we haven't really met any proper Aiels yet, except for that dead one that was in a cage. And, and we the just lady. Know- uh, did we? Kind of. She was stabbing people. She was oh, pregnant. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was like back in the, that was in the Aiel War 20 years ago, as a matter of fact. That's right. We did meet her. Wait, and Rand's like 20, right? Uh, Yeah, he's right about 20. Correct. Oh, and she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was right there. Um, yeah. Speculation. Maybe he was born around the same time that kid was born. That'd be a wild coincidence. I mean, a lot of a lot of people are born around the same yeah. time. It just happens. So we know Jan. We meet Jan, who's another nurse, and he's a dickhead. Um, he likes to bully and laugh at pain. Uh, he does some kind of thing that makes Errol cower, but Rand is pretty quick to turn Errol back around and turn that fear into, you know, determination for tomorrow. Um, Jan alludes to the fact that he's taking care of a more important prisoner and that he has a, he basically says he has a better job than Rand and is giving Rand crap. Um, but season one, Rand, um, showed us that Rand talks to people pretty well and people relax around. They tried to show us that in season one, that he can reason with people and kind of get his way with people. And they're trying to show it here too, the way he can talk to Errol and the way he works with these patients that, you know, Rand just relates with people. 
That's that Tarvlonian in him. That's that Taviran in him. Correct. Damn, dang it. <laughs> I'm Tar- not messing these up on purpose. I, I know, I know. It's it. I mean, you're absolutely right. Tarvalon is a place, and Taviran is it's not even a nationality. It's just a vibe, basically. Yeah, I on a straight to Patreon, I got into it with Mars that Eowyn and Arrowin from uh Lord of the Rings. I was like, yeah, that I did I didn't want to say the wrong one. And he's like, but you were right the first time. I was like, yeah, but if I said the other one, you'd be like, Well, how'd you get that wrong? And I say, because they're all stupid, and then you have like you have like Arrowin. Eowyn, Aragon, um, that Morrowind, like all these things in fantasy just sound alike. And it's the same thing here in Wheel of Time too. There's so many characters, Aes Sedai's name that start with S's that all sound exactly alike. I don't know. Like, um, like Moraine, Leandrin, (laughs) etc. I have no idea any of them that start with an S. We haven't met any of them yet. Okay, we all right. <laughs> uh, I, like when you're reading the book, it's very easy to like to mistake one name for another mm. because they're spelled the exact same way, except for like a letter in the middle is slightly different, or one hundred percent different. You can't have a slightly different letter. One hundred percent different. Leandrin takes Nynaeve to see a breakbone fever healing. We remember that Nynaeve has healed Egwene of breakbone fever when Egwene was a child, so she's familiar with this. We see Leandrin pocket some crimson thorn root, and it looks like Nynaeve kind of spies her pocketing it as well. Um, the accepted here heals the child while Nynaeve watches the threads Kind of like you were saying last episode that Nynaeve's a quick learner. So I was kind of getting the idea Nynaeve was watching this healing happen and was kind of understanding how it was happening. I hope Mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, We noticed that this woman isn't accepted. She has the white robe like Nynaeve, except she has like the different color rainbow sleeves to show that she is accepted, that she has gone through the arches and that she's like on her level and that she is on the next step to be an Aes Sedai. But she doesn't have a name. She's just the accepted in the credits, which is unfortunate. Ruh-roh. Yeah. In this scene, Nynaeve is like seeing the healing happening and it's just coming to her head like, oh, wait, my power can heal people. Oh, my God. (laughs) Maybe I should be learning this stuff. It's like, yeah, dude, you've done that before. You saved someone whose chest was just leaking blood from itself. Like, you've done it, dude. And now it's just dawning on you of like, oh, I don't need to use my power to just smash and dash people or for this political (laughs) intrigue and spying. No, you can use it to straight up heal people, make people not sick or uh, no no longer on the brink of death. Right. They're stressing the tower philosophy here because Nynaeve is seeing like one person getting healed. They're like, it's amazing. That's what I want to do. And Leandrin's trying to teach her the tower philosophy, which is more like we can help everybody. Like, instead of just focusing on helping this one person, we can, like, stop things before they start. We can, you know, we're, we're here to help everyone. We are 
servants of all. And James is shaking his head for the audience. What are you shaking your head at? Because she's saying, oh, what I do and the Reds do, oh. we destroy disease before it starts. <laughs> Meaning, oh, the men are or men channeling are the disease. No, this is how you prevent disease from happening before it even can rear its head. Clean water, fresh food, mental health. These are what prevent <laughs> badness, guys. She was leaning it on the Reds a lot. You're right. But I think what her point was is that, you know, we can do great things here in the tower. And I think Nynaeve was so amazed because she had to sit through and watch Egwene suffer breakbone fever for months um, before she was able to go in. She didn't even realize that she healed Egwene. She was just kind of holding her hand. Then to see this accepted, like do it like in 15 seconds. Eh, it's a good example of what they can do. I thought anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. Through their conversation, we learned that the Aes Sedai live hundreds of years. I've told you this before, but now they're telling us on the show. Um, and we learned that Leandrin can teach the accepted. So she's kind of trying to push Nynaeve to learn quicker so that she can teach Nynaeve and that she can begin to be her teacher. And she's obviously steering her towards the Reds. She's like an improv teacher or an improv school of like, oh, <laughs> you 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 went through all the classes in I.O. Well, no, this is UCB. You're going from 101 and up. Oh, you I can't even start at like the 202 classes. Nah, give us all your money. Start at 101. She doesn't want she doesn't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. She's like, hey. Just come over here real quick. I'll teach you what I know so I don't have to unteach the things I don't want you to know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, we saw Leandrin. Uh, you didn't say anything, but you, you did catch on the hint that you did catch on the fact that she stole that crimson root stuff. And that crimson yeah. root stuff is, yeah, like basically like heroin or morphine or something like that. So she immediately goes to Matt. Like she, there's like a vendor there that gives her some sweet cakes. And then we see her give those sweet cakes to Matt. And at first watch, you're probably thinking, I know I thought that they were more or less poisoned, um, which would be smart. If she was trying to do something to Matt like that, poisoning him would be better than using the one power. Because if she were to use the one power, other people would be able to sense that she was doing that. She wouldn't be able to get away with it. Whereas with poisoning might be a better option. She also literally can't. Can't what? Uh, harm him using the one. Or she can't like kill him. Like do things to make him dead using the one. Right? They can't kill. Oh, they can't kill each other. Never mind. Right. Yeah, that's right. You're correct. Because I was like, it. no, I've seen them kill people with the one power. I know there's. <laughs> There's some rule that they can't kill, and that's each other. That's right. Can they kill one that's gone to the dark friend? Of course, yes. Okay. Uh, obviously. Well, not obviously. Yes, of course, James. I'm sorry I said obviously. That was a bad choice of words. Um, she doesn't give Matt a straight answer when he asks if it's poisoned, which is another reason to make me think that it was poisoned. Of course, on second watch, everybody has already seen this episode. We know that's not what the poison was for. This was simply like a, I guess, a nice gesture after all. I don't know why else she would have done this. Oh, now we got to start thinking, what was that about? 
it doesn't seem like it was about anything because there's really nothing she's trying to pry from him. I think she just had some sweets and she was like, I'll just dump these off on Matt because I don't want them. Maybe it's <laughs> to uh, to try to say like, hey, maybe she's not all that bad. I will start talking all of these things like, oh, no, this is all manipulative. Well, I think it might be for us because like on second watch, you know that she didn't poison Matt. And you know that she is kind of altruistic in some ways. So on second watch, it makes you think, well, maybe she's not such a bad person after all. I mean, if it has added sugar in it, that's poisoning (laughs) you, baby. A little bit at a time. Um, Yeah, Matt does a little sound effects before. um, he He hears when she's coming down the hall. He hears when she's doing the door. So obviously he's always listening out for them when he's wheeling away at the wall, trying to get through those bricks. Um, he's probably always got his ear out listening. That brick was super visible. Like when he pulled that thing, when he pulled that thing for the first time, it was like more visible than any brick I've ever seen in my life. Do you mean in the wall? Like, oh, clearly that's the one that's going to move. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, because, you know, it's it's been etched away at. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, or it's, you know, just the Scooby-Doo of it all. You always <laughs> knew, well, that's, there's going to be a clue there because it's a cell shaded animated thing opposed to this is a part of the background. It just makes me nervous because it's so obvious to the viewer, which means it's so obvious to Leandrin. If she decided to take a peek back there, she would know exactly what he's up to. Egwene meets Elaine as she is moving in. She's got predominant red crests and servants throughout helping her out. At first, you might think that she's a red Aja, but this is like the red lion of um, Andor, which shows like her royalty. You know, it has nothing to do with the red Aja. It's just simply a a royalty thing. She's the princess of the Ewok. (laughs) Uh, Egwene first... um, is insulted by Elaine when Elaine comes into a room, checks it out um, and says that like, you know, this room, this dingy, like ill fitting room or whatever she says, but she quickly realizes that this is a Gwaine's room. And she even recognizes the stitching from two rivers, uh, which shows that she might be a little more worldly than we realize. Uh, we learn that she is royalty. She is the daughter heir of Andor soon to be the queen um, I wrote down here that she is a bright-eyed hopeful. <laughs> and she ends up pleasing Egwene. And good reason for such. Like, this is her next-door neighbor. This is, like, her new, like, more or less bunkmate. This immediately made me think about, like, Rick Rubin and the Beastie Boys. Like, they were, like, in dorm rooms, and they met up. And so, like, Egwene, like, super lucked out, like, with mm-hmm. her. Especially the way Elaine is talking. Like, we're going to be great friends. We're going to be a great pair. Egwene's like, um, hell yeah, okay, like you're the daughter of Andor, I'm just some poor girl from the two rivers, let's do this, hell yeah. I'd like to apologize for a joke, I thought, and so Endor and Andor, Andor are completely <laughs> different things in the Star, or Star Wars universe, that's baffling. It really is, when they named that show Andor, at first I thought it was a Wheel of Time thing. And 
Yeah, that that very it's very much like the Aowen and Arwen that you were saying before. These fantasy series with their damn names. Uh-huh. <laughs> Get some new vowels and some new consonants, please. I was excited because I was like, oh, this is a a show taking place on the forest moon Endor, but it's not. This is what happens when worlds collide, James. Yeah. Oh, no, I meant the show Andor was taking place on Endor, and mm-hmm. then uh, I was just making the joke thinking Endor and yeah. Andor, she is the princess of the Ewok. <laughs> she... Now... Who do you, I, I'm thinking like who would be like the equivalent? Like if you were to go to school and to be like in a dorm and then your next door neighbor just happens to be like, you know, like a princess. I'm thinking like in, in your respect, it would be great if it was like, for example, like Ted Templeton's son or like Max Rubin's son, like a producer. And then like the kid is all like, oh, hey, what's up? I'm your new neighbor. We're going to be best friends forever. I'm going to be inheriting Warner Brother Records in like five years. It's pretty much the equivalent of what Egwene's looking at here. Yeah. That'd be really cool. I was going to say, in Muskegon, Michigan, it was pretty much built by the Hackley family, this entire town. They were a lumber industry, and there were some Hackleys in our school, but it's been such a long time that it's like, who gives a shit? Like, we don't care that you're a Hackley. It's nowhere (laughs) near, like, in Gotham where, oh, I'm a Wayne. I'm the other family that's super popular. No. It's just, you're a Hackley? Okay. Yeah, like your town. Like, your town's version of Elaine, I suppose. Mm Mm-hmm. But we don't give a shit. (laughs) Egwene does give a shit, obviously. And I was thinking about something you could chalk all this up just to plot um, bringing characters together. But when you have a show like this, that has a grand design, like a pattern, you're supposed to think the pattern is like bringing these people together. And that's the reason that Elaine ended up next door to Egwene. It's kind of like a, a, a grand, um, not coincidence, but more or less um, fate, I guess you would say. And the pattern's pulling it here. In Dark, they called it the God Principle. And any anytime something happened that was kind of weird, it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe it was the God Principle that allowed that to happen. So it's the same thing here with the pattern. You got a headphone thing happening there, James? You good? Uh, no, I, I, was, I heard a noise that could have been a cat throwing up, but it is not. <laughs> Thank goodness. That cat's throwing in. Uh-huh. Throwing in the towel. I also, I apologize if any, it might not have came up on here. Butter was screaming like two minutes ago. So, okay, good. Nope. Jeez. Well, when you crank up the volume, if all of a sudden you hear a cat going, (laughs) it's like, we're where you, where we always are when you wake up at this time. Our dog does that too. Like in the mornings, he's like barking like crazy. And I was like, where are you guys going? The same place we go every single day. It's all good, Hopper. Relax. So next up, we got Alana, Maxim, and Ivan. They're discussing some plans with Shiriam Sadai. They're talking about Nynaeve and Leandrin specifically. Um, they're saying that she could die in the arches on the trial to be the accepted. So we know that the arches are... Uh, you know, potentially dangerous. Uh, we learned that Elaine, this redhead that we just met, 
uh, is one of the most powerful to come around in a long time, as well as some fella named Mazram Tame. And they're saying, Shiriam is saying that we need to find these people that are strong, like Nynaeve, like Elaine, like Mazram, because the pattern, like I was saying before, is given us these people as like weapons to fight the dark ones. So we need to use these weapons that the pattern has given us. Otherwise it's all for waste. I just realized she's got red hair. So maybe she's a. Aiel. So maybe they brought <laughs> together because Aiel are attracted and brought to Egwene. I did. I was just thinking I was not pointing at you to be like, what's this character that I completely know the name of? <laughs> or it would be weird if it's like, oh, their brother and sister. I hope that's not a thing that happens with Ran and Elaine. Right. So hopefully that's not the case, but it's, I think it'll probably be something to do with him. And yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that. It's interesting. You bring that up because yeah, obviously she has red hair in the books. She also had red hair and nobody is calling her an Aiel. Nobody is like, bagging on her like immediately like when the first when people first see ran that's the first thing they say is oh an aiel man look at that aiel guy it's happened at least four, on four different occasions mm -hmm. i didn't hear anybody say anything about that to elaine and you know, we all we all know that she's like the, the the daughter princess heir to andor so obviously she's not an aiel so it's a oh. really interesting point that she does have red hair, but nobody is, you know, making a big deal about it. Maybe. We should be. <laughs> maybe Egwene just likes the reds, you know? Yeah, obviously she does. Wait, not the reds, but the redheads. No, the reds. The Cincinnati reds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's a sporto. Uh, <laughs> or is the Cincinnati reds, is that a bad team? I, you got me. I mean, I know they're a team. They must be okay if they're professionals, right? No, I mean the name itself. <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, Are they just red to be red? That's a good question. I mean, it's never been called into question. Of course, the red skins, of course, were. I, sh I should bleep that out. But nobody has made any kind of tiff about the Cincinnati Reds. Rednecks, maybe? Um no, it, it, Cincinnati, like rednecks, more your area. Yeah, but we're not the Virginia Reds. Are you looking this up? Because yes, it's the Cincinnati Red Stockings, and the team played in its home game uh, at Union Grounds, which was the team name originated from the high red socks or stockings the team wore with its knee length pat. So it's just oh, reds. That's cute. They're okay. named after a color. <laughs> The Cincinnati Reds. Okay. Well, we know that Nynaeve's testing is up for a vote, and this is all being called on by Leandrin. She is politicking and trying to get Nynaeve pushed through, and they're calling it not, they're calling it her cabal. Um, Alana plans to leave, however, to meet up with Moraine, we find out. So she's not going to be around to vote, which is not looking good for Nynaeve, I suppose. And we see here that Shiriam at first is kind of a little weird about the fact that Alana brought her warders to the meeting mm. because she says something along the lines of like, you know, it's supposed to be between us sisters here and you got these dudes. <laughs> 
so I guess she's she being Alane views her warders as her equals. Mm-hmm. And Shirium and maybe some other Aes Sedai don't quite quite see it the same way. We'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> One thing about this conversation of oh, Nanive needs to be accelerated so she can start getting the real training that she needs because she's so powerful. But what they're forgetting to mention is, or think about is just if you, if you had 60,000 volts of electricity, that's super powerful. But if the carrier only is a double a battery, it's not going to be able to handle that. It needs the, the knowledge that can hold that power. And that's just what these assholes don't get. That's a good point. Yeah. And um, Transformers, that's what we have Transformers for as well, is to like be able to take that power and to reduce it and get it to like a more usable level. So Decepticon? Yeah, that's right. Autobots? Optimus Prime. All right, let's see. Nynaeve goes to visit Leandrin. I'm not sure why, but we learn that she has just, she being Leandrin, has just left. And if she hurries up, she can catch her. Nynaeve runs off to catch her, and she ends up like at a dead-end hallway. And we find out that there is a hidden door there and a hidden exit that I guess only Leandrin knows about that leads her out into the city streets. I call BS on only her knowing about this. Oh, yeah, you're probably right, I guess. Um, I guess maybe all the Reds know about this passageway. No, literally anyone in that hallway would know about it. Because if you want a secret passageway, maybe grease the hinges on the door. Because, (laughs) yes, oh, we need it to be, like, creepy, her opening it. No, it's a secret passage. Have it be secretive. She left the door open, too. I've, I noticed that she didn't close the door behind her. And there's no, like, acoustic paneling in these hallways. It's just stone. The noise carries. Yeah, you can hear all these screams from the dungeons and whatnot. I didn't like hearing the screams when she was going through. But they were passionate screams of pleasure. <laughs> she, like, waltzes right out into the street, which, actually, that's that's a huge, like security risk right there because anybody from the street could get up into the white tower that way yeah i was thinking of it as possibly magical as eventually once you like go through you if you try to go the other way it's just a wall that makes sense and probably naive went through it because leandrin had just had some fresh magic going through there too so she was able to you know, draft off those magic fumes, I suppose. Well, I, I'll think of it as, you know, when you go into a parking lot or, or like a parking garage that has an arm on it mm-hmm. and you go <laughs> over those spikes. Well, those spikes are safe if you go one way, but the right. other way it'll stab you. So if she had turned around, she wouldn't be able to get back in the tower that way. Bummer. Mm-hmm. It's a nice shortcut. I liked it. But anyway, next up, we got the Horn Hunters. They arrive at Tommen Head to spend the night, and they're trying to seek Pat and Fane. They're going to ask some questions around. We get their cool, like, Nirvana sound-alike music as they... And it's their entrance music, I suppose, like wrestling entrance music. They get that, like, guitar, downbeat stuff as There's, they walk into town. 
there's one of them that looks like a professional wrestler. And I'm like, are they related to like Roman Reigns or <laughs> what's the one of the other dudes that was in the shield? Like he looks like a for real professional wrestler. So I wouldn't doubt it if any of them dabbled. They could. I don't know. Um, let's see. Elias does not want to bed down with them. He wants to hang outside under the stars. That comes in handy later. Um, he tells Perrin that these people are not his pack. Uh, the food and drink look and smell disgusting, but Loyal approves. That's that's Loyal style. He likes it. He likes a stinky person. <laughs> He's my kind of guy then. Yeah, I don't like stinky food and stinky drink. I don't know. No, like, I mean a people. Oh, okay. Okay, you like stinky people? I like stinky person. I enjoy a, a loved one to be uh, stinky. I'm with you. Okay, I got you now. Full, <laughs> yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Like Naturally Natural stinky. pheromones, exactly. Yes. I'm with that. It's my animal instincts inside <laughs> of me. I'm an alpha dog. We're Okay, we're alpha dogging it up. We're with Moraine and Varen. They're right outside the borderlands in view of the tower. We learn that Viren and Adelis are brown, Aes Sedai, and they're working on a book of the, what did they call it? The History Since the Breaking of the World. So that's kind of cool. They're authors out there gathering knowledge. Uh, Viren knows that Moraine is being hunted, and she kind of has a lot of logical guesses here. That I, Yes. I, I liked how she said, hey, you're one Aes Sedai is being hunted by three fades. We'd be stupid not to ask <laughs> questions, dude. Exactly. Yes. She even figures out that, um, that Moraine is after the dragon. One of the boys that she picked up last autumn, which she's right on with that. Moraine's got her hand on her blade, ready to defend the dragon. And Varen approves. Um, mm -hmm. She's, she commends Moraine for that instead of being fearful of her life. I think when she started getting like right up in Viren's face, I think Viren should have maybe stepped back a little bit. She was like, that's close enough. And they were like nose to nose. Like how much closer could she possibly get? Kiss to kiss. Kiss to kiss. <laughs> I like how Viren says that, um, that oaths have loopholes and that they're kind of pointless. And that instead, they just have to simply trust each other. Oh, yeah. She alludes to more prophecies, a battle in the sky. She says, oh, here's one for you, James, a sword of flame. She says something about a sword of flame wielded by a branded hand. So that yeah. means like some cool dude with a tattoo is going to have a sword of fire. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's how it sounds. <laughs> uh, there was... A saying before this that someone said the hour waits for no woman. Okay. And I am going to start saying that to Nicole <laughs> to wake her up because she has a hard time getting up even after many, many alarms. So I did it this morning and it threw her off so much that I think it actually woke her up. I said, the hour waits for no woman. She's like, what? Huh? That did really throw her off her bait. I, if somebody said that to me as I was waking up, it would throw my game off too. 
Jeez, are you, is that going to be like a normal thing from now on? You're going to do? I'm going to try and make it. All right. I mean, I don't know. I think Nicole might hate it by the third day. <laughs> well, good. If she wakes up, that's all that matters. All right. Point for you. All right. If she, if she wants to eat breakfast as a couple together, she better wake up with that <laughs> alarm instead of sometimes waking me, making me wait two hours to eat. All right, next up, we see a Kari and Freak Festival. Looks like they got Burning Man going on there in the streets at night. Uh, Rand is eyeballing Jan, who's <laughs> obnoxious laughing with his friends, loud laughing. Do you know anybody that does like that loud laugh like Jan's doing? No, I don't affiliate with my myself with anyone like this. <laughs> Same here. I don't know. He just reminds me of like a super drunk person that's just way too into themselves. He's screaming like, yeah, man, I totally like owned this person who needs like severe care. Oh, man, they couldn't even come with a comeback because they were like experiencing past traumas that I projected onto them. It was so dope. So, yeah, we're with Rand. Rand follows him to an alleyway just to like kick his ass. And he ends up one power in the guy and he thinks he kills him. So he kind of freaks out and flees the scene. Anything to say about that? I was nervous. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Stop it. I, I was too. I saw the guy like do like a, a weird hiccup after the fact. So I knew he wasn't dead. But this freaked ran out though. Ran got mm -hmm. freaked and he ran home to Celine to get freaked. <laughs> He just wanted to be by himself and Celine just sexually manipulated him here. And he's visibly upset, wants to be alone. And she's just not letting him be alone. And she refuses. Things get rough. This is a weird scene. This may be not like Celine quite so much because I'm enamored by her. But this scene kind of made me unenamored a little bit. Her sentiment is correct. The way in which she's doing it is incorrect by saying, right. hey, it's funny how when we most need people around or right. it's funny how when people want to be alone are the moments when you actually need to be around others. That makes sense. But I guess like if all they do is fuck like yes. they can't have an emotional like discussion. <laughs> Yeah, that, if anything, she could have been like, yes, let's have a chat, Rand. But she just wants her rent money. She wants that Rand. She wants that strange Rand. All right, back at the tower, Shiriam reminds Elaine that she is a novice. It looks like Shiriam's kind of pissed off about this hubbub down the hallway. Um It's obvious Elaine wants to befriend Egwene because she's trying to get her to show around the white, the white tower, but we know that she has spent six summers there as a girl because royalty can do whatever the hell they want. So <laughs> she got to hang out the white tower with the Aes Sedai. Um, she will take punishment before betraying her staff. So that's a good point in her favor. Mm -hmm. um, she gets three months of whipping before breakfast every day. That's what she and Shiryum decide on. Well, she was said like, Hey, before every uh, or 
in the morning, you will come to my uh, my office to get switched. And just like a boss, she says, before or after breakfast. And I think that's when Egwene is like, oh, okay, like she's she's kind of cool. Yeah, not only is she a daughter heir, but she also, you know, she has some some spirit and some, I don't know, some honor about her. But we also learn through this uh, this exchange that Egwene is starting to feel kind of overlooked as a novice because the only time people speak to her is to ask her where Nynaeve is. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Nynaeve, she ends up following Leandrin to her home to who we think is Leandrin's husband, some dude named Eludrin. So we find out that the... Hmm, what was that root called that I said earlier? The red stuff. <laughs> the, there we uh, go. I want the name of it just for just for my own sake. Crimson root. Crimson root. Thank you very much. Uh, no, that's not what it is. It is. Oh it wait, is. what? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, all right, James. guys. <laughs> so yeah, this is what she wanted it for—not to poison Matt, but to help out her boy here and. Nynaeve is watching this all go down and she is making no effort to hide herself whatsoever. I thought that was a fairly strange move. Of course, it's necessary for the plot here, but if I'm spying on somebody, I'm doing a much better job than Nynaeve is doing here. Well, I think it's because at this point she realizes, oh, she's trying to help him. However, she is not helping this person. I need to intervene and be like, hey, dude, sorry that I'm here. But if you enjoy this person, if this is someone you care about, clearly you're caring for them. You're doing it wrong and you have an entire tower of just anyone (laughs) that could do better help than you are doing right now oh oh i hear this can help people oh i'll i'll sneak a little you don't need to sneak it you could ask for this stuff ma'am but i guess it's because they don't want people knowing she has a son correct that's exactly correct i was thinking the easiest thing to do would be like just come to the tower, Leandrin, one day. Like, I was out in the streets, and I found this poor old guy. Mm -hmm. He needs some help. Somebody help him out. Simple as that. But instead, she's got to hide everything away. But I guess this is supposed to be a character-building moment, because we know that Leandrin has her secrets, and this is her secret, which is actually an altruistic secret. She's trying to help this guy, who is her son. She's being a bad mom. Okay, yes, she is being a bad mom in our eyes. In her eyes, she's helping, and then when she realizes that she's helping wrong, she strikes the person who gives her this information. Mm -hmm. And then I hope that she goes out and tries to find some of that milk stuff that Nynaeve was talking about. I hope she at least heard that. Maybe. Who knows? (laughs) Because she, I, yeah, because the only reason she's not, fully helping or seeking help for this person is only for her own personal gains because she mm-hmm. doesn't want to look weak. Oh, I fell in love with a man. Oh, <laughs> I got, I got semen inside of me. That would make her look bad. No, it just means you, you fell in love or had a tryst with someone. It's fine. I get the feeling this probably happened while she was an Aes Sedai, perhaps, and that might be part of the thing, too. I mean, I don't know that for certain. I'm just guessing. 
Um, because generally women come to the white tower as girls before they even have children. Like, Mm -hmm. like women can't show up who have had kids and like, yeah, I can, I can channel, I can do this. Generally, that's not how it, that's not how it happens. It's generally girls. And Leandrin's old enough to make me think that this might've happened while she was in Aes Sedai. Yeah. And clearly because of what we've seen, what she has, she's doing with health wise, she knows nothing about health. So she doesn't know about condoms. <laughs> right. A the yellow one power can like, help with that. Uh, uh, wait, what tower? The one power. Like, just oh, the sh- one power. Just yeah, shield it. Shield your uterus. Yes. It's like a dental dam, but like with the one power, which might be like swirled for his pleasure. So uh, it just seems weird. Screw her. I still don't like her. All right. Okay. I'm I'm just starting to see like, you know, she's a different type of character than this episode shows she's different than we ever thought. So it's just showing us a turn of Leandrin. I'm just trying to point that out for her sake. <laughs> I'm just pissed because this wasn't in the books. <laughs> so you're right, it wasn't. So next up, <laughs> Matt manages to get through that wall and is dismayed to see it only leads to the next cell next door. Uh, but we find out that Min is in that cell. She's also being held by Leandrin. Did you remember Min from uh, last season when you first saw her? Or did you have to get reminded of who she was? No, I knew who it was. And it makes the Reds look even worse. Why? Uh, that's just like, oh, instead of just questioning someone who could help you out, we're going to take you prisoner. They do. They give her wine, I guess, to like satiate her while she's in there to like make her a comfortable prisoner, I suppose. No, if you want this, if you really want to keep her, uh, hey, we don't want other people using her powers. Mm hmm. White collar jail. You do not put her in with everyone else. You give her a nice fancy room or not even fancy. Just like she she was living in like a bar, like back of a bar. Give her something either equal to that or slightly better. So it's like, hey, we will accommodate your every in quotes need. But we're, we will. you are a prisoner here. At least do that. But to keep her in a dungeon and be like, hey, be drunk all day, bad. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was it from that scene, wasn't it? No, that's not it from that scene. There's a big thing that happens here. Um, they learn a little bit about each other, but as they leave, she sees a vision of Matt clearly killing our boy Rand. Um. I think I told you before that there's a few like um, absolutes in this show. And one of them being that everything men sees will absolutely come true. So I didn't like seeing Matt stand Matt stabbing Rand. And I'm trying to like reason my way around this. Like, obviously it looks like Matt is stabbing Rand, but could there be more to this? You think? Oh yes, I do believe maybe someone can, um, x-men that mystique themselves to look like someone yeah okay okay yeah that's a good one um i didn't know if maybe that what i was thinking the same thing about matt like maybe that wasn't matt who stabbed Rand. Mm. no but she was having the vision of Matt. so yeah 
I think that's our best bet is if somebody is shapeshifting as Rand. Or he is currently being taken over by the Dark One or something. And, oh, I know I can stab you and that will I'll stab you in an area that won't like immediately kill you. It could be something like that. Maybe he's got one of those like Halloween knives that's like you push it in and like it doesn't actually go in. It just kind of goes into itself. And they're Mm -hmm. playing a trick on Perrin. Yeah. Like a prank. It's a prank. Bad prank, guys. (laughs) Don't do that. All right, next up, we got Adelius. Oh, this is when Adelius is in her true form, talking horny talk around the fire about Thomas, about how she and Thomas used to hook up. And now that he's with Varen, he doesn't get none anymore. Let's see. She tries to get Moraine and Lan to kind of open up about their relationship and how they met. At first, she does not succeed, but eventually Moraine starts the tale and talks about how they first met each other. And I like how Land says that his original impression of Aes Sedai, old, cold, and sour. But they're just young, cold, and sour. <laughs> but yeah, did you have anything to say about this uh, this scene? No, I only have one, th- like, at the end things they're talking about. That's what I have to comment on them. Okay. Uh, Wheel of Time purist, you'll be happy to know this is directly from the book. So that story is a verbatim. All right. Next up, we got Rand and Celine. They're laying in bed together. This is probably after they had their, uh, their funky sex. After he put his check in the deposit box. <laughs> Celine says that she has loved once. And it kind of seems like she still loves the person that she used to love. Um, her former lover. And she likes to pretend she tells Rand openly. That's who I pretend you are when we're having sex. I pretend you're my old dude. Who do you pretend I am? And Rand just kind of says somebody I'd like to forget, which I can only assume he's talking about a Gwen. Who else could he be talking about? Uh, the dark one. Duh. <laughs> he wants to forget about him. I was thinking he could be talking about Celine herself. Cause he, he's kind of trapped in this situation here. All right, next up. Oh, this is great. Elaine is a brewster. She brews her own beer, and she's sharing her beer with Egwene here. They do a little cheers, and let's see. Egwene opens up a little bit about Nynaeve and their relationship. Uh, Nynaeve overhears a portion of this. Um, I don't know. For, she doesn't really say anything too terrible. It's not like oh, she's no. talking super trash about Nynaeve. It's just Nynaeve knows that she's in there sharing her feelings with someone else, I guess. Uh, Elaine reveals to Egwene that Egwene is actually really jealous of Nynaeve, which is something that Egwene didn't realize about herself. You disagree? Absolutely disagree. She's not jealous. She is disappointed with her friend. Her friend said, hey, I'm here to protect you. I'm here for you. And then doesn't do anything absolutely nothing to help and yes there's there are issues there of she's doing nothing but getting everything while Mm -hmm. i'm doing everything and getting nothing that's not jealous of her that is being pissed off at everyone in the tower but this is at the core of it a friend disappointing another friend or what exactly did I have uh, letting a friend down? 
Okay. So you, th- yeah. Okay. So when Egwene is trying to talk to Nynaeve, she's not around for her mm-hmm. as well. She alludes to that. I, you do see a couple times where people talk about Nynaeve and Egwene kind of makes a face, you know, where she has like, I do see some jealousy there. I think the actress is trying to show that I, everybody keeps saying how powerful Nynaeve is. And Egwene's like, what about me? Well, no, it's not like, hey, she's so powerful. If she were to just hear that, she could be like, hell yeah, that's my friend. But it's, hey, have you seen her? Hey, do you know where your friend is? Because that's we don't want anything to do with you except the fact that you might know where she is. <laughs> that's the issue here. It's yeah. that no one's valuing her. This isn't anything to do with Nynaeve. Next up, Leandrin comes to Nynaeve and she makes a real quick statement that if she could take it all back and not allow this to happen, that she would, but she cannot change the past. So follow me. <laughs> so basically she's regretting the fact that she has gotten Nynaeve to the point that she's going to be going to the arches. Oh, because she found out I have a son. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, possible blackmail there. You never know. Um, black Aja male. So what follows here is Nynaeve is about to be tested to level up as an accepted. We see Shiriam and Leanne are there to meet them in the hallway and to lead them to the arches to face what she fears. I left a big space right here because I was going to talk to you all about the arches and what they mean and everything. I don't have to because next episode they're going to do it for me. So <laughs> hell yeah, we can just skip on ahead because they leave us here at a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens um, to Nynaeve past this point in this episode. Also, the arches are like the arches that we've already seen when they go into that place, right? In season one? Uh, no, that, that's not oh. right. Um, okay. that, that's like a gateway, like an Ogier gateway. And these arches are like a giant, tur- like a giant, a magical piece, like a okay. giant magic wand. There's At, th- like, guys, Stargate had it right. There was one, and that's it. <laughs> I, hey, Stargate fans, if I got all of that incorrect, fuck off. I don't care. Well, yeah, there is a Stargate Atlantis, that, so there has to be more than one Stargate. But they all do the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Also, if yes. you're, if you are any sort of, like, exclusive society just don't do cryptic bullshit ceremonies just be very out in the open (laughs) don't do this weird like oh we're all in robes and we're gonna have lanterns that's my my least favorite thing about this the traitors it from uh what's the i think it was both the uk series and the United States series, they do all this cryptic bullshit to make it look like, ooh, we're murderers. Don't do that. It's gross <laughs> and creepy. I agree with you. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, too. Like, we're huge about that, like, in Europe and America as well. We make these big, giant buildings, giant churches and courts, and judges sit, like, on these big, like, 10-foot deuses to make us feel small and to make themselves feel big mm. and to like, you know, the, to have an illusion of more power and of more, more weight. And I don't know. 
that's not really as huge of a tangent, but that's what I, that's how I see that. Hell yeah, brother. So next up, we see Lan. He's at the horses. He finds that poem from last episode and he doesn't read it. He pockets it because Moraine walks up on him real fast. Um, they continue reminiscing about their meeting and the conversation turns to Moraine urging Lan to leave her. Uh, he insists that he will not. Uh, she reveals that the powerful forsaken are now among us. She reveals this to Lan and that they're they're far more powerful than the Aes Sedai ever are. And yeah, remember earlier they were saying that the power is creating stronger channelers in defense against the dark one. So she's kind of, you know, letting land know this is happening. She also reveals that Rand is alive and she points out to him, like, I didn't lie to you about that. I just simply didn't tell you. And you assumed that mm -hmm. she again tells him that she is loyal to the dragon, AKA Rand. And she harshly leaves land here to Alana in the waters to take him back to the tower by force if necessary. And she says here that they were never equals. She sucks here, right? <laughs> she said we were not. Okay. So let's fill in some blanks. Uh, okay. First, she starts saying, Hey, when you threw me in that pond from, a, we discussed a few scenes ago, which is verbatim from the books, guys, don't mm -hmm. worry. <laughs> As Steve said, she said, that's actually not the first time. Is this from the books? Now, Pyrrhus are going to be like, this is not real. They're writing fan fiction. That when they went into a town shortly after that, they saw three trollop heads on spikes. And he didn't bat an eye at that because she knew he, at that point, she knew, hey, he's dealt with this. He's killed so many with just a sword in the blight trying to get to hear even. And she says specifically, I knew when the time came, you could survive on your own, which is devastating of saying like, Hey, I know I'm going to die in my field. Like that's just what's going to happen. Like what I intend to do as an Aes Sedai is so much more dangerous than being a warder for other people. Right. And I knew that you have this strong mind even when I'm dead, you will still be able to thrive. That part, devastating. As someone who deals with depression like that, that was, uh, that hit hard. Then he says like, hey, I know what you're doing. You're trying to push me away, but I won't let it. And then she says, uh, uh, there was some other conversation about Aes Sedai and Warders not being equal. And he said, hey, you tell me, and I know you can't lie. D did you think of us as equals? She simply states we were never equals. And mm -hmm. I think she would, if she were to continue because she wants to push him away, I think she would have said, because you land are a better soul than me. I think she yes. looks so fucking highly of this man that she has to like, she's trying so hard. Uh, a teacher once said that, senior year in high school, this type of stuff happens every single year. You will see 
two girls that have been friends since elementary school throughout high school in senior year just have this bitter fight. They absolutely hate each other now. And that's some subliminal thing that they're or some uh, subconscious thing that they're doing because they know they're going to different colleges and they would rather okay. be apart that way then have to deal with like, oh, I don't see you anymore. Like, oh, I don't, I, why would I even want to see them? I hate them. That's better to deal with than like, wow, my friend is no longer here. What the fuck am I supposed to do? And I mm -hmm. think that's what she's doing here. And it sucks, but I truly think if she would have kept going, she would have said, because I think you are better than me. You're so spot on, James. This is exactly what I was thinking too. Because she was talking him up so much, just like you said, that he can handle himself. We know that he's the was supposed to be the king of Malkir. So mm -hmm. generally, you know, kings are not equal to their subjects. And Moraine has like a really negative opinion of herself right now. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's exactly what she meant. Like she was trying to get it on the land. Like, you know, you're below me. You suck. Get away from me. But. Yeah, I think in inside, that's exactly what she was doing. Great mm -hmm. analogy, too, with the school thing. That's exactly right. That, that's just be, that lives rent free in my head when a teacher <laughs> said that, because it was happening with two people in our grade. And he's like, hey, stepped in and was like, I think this is what you're doing, because I truly see it every single year of my 20 years of teaching so far. Wow. Which was Tim Allen's brother. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. So you went. That's right. That was. This was also in Muskegon. Yes. Alrighty. And Tim Allen's brother taught you what? 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 Uh, what class was it? Mass media and student publication twice because it was oh, an cool. elective, not because I failed it. That's the kind of class I could expect Tim, Al Tim Allen's brother to teach. Not like you know math. Like mm -mm. he was <laughs> an English media. teacher. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, next scene, uh, we see parents sleeping, and at the same time as he, everybody is being captured by the sentient death guard. That's who I think, that's who I believe these guys are, is the sentient death guard. They're called that because they're, um, they're even, they're so like sneaky and stealthy that even somebody like Param would not sense that they're around. Mm -hmm. um, just like the ultimate fighters, there's a, every fighter is the ultimate fighter, James. And these are yet some more ultimate fighters for us. There's some uh, Dragon Ball Z stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is where I, this is where I started like in Masima. Cause he's the guy that is, uh, sword fighting them all properly and pretty much winning against them. Mm -hmm. It's clear that they're trying to take prisoners and they're trying to drag people away alive. So the only people that are being killed are people that are attacking them. Otherwise they're just trying to drag everybody and take slaves. It seems, but we got our guy Masima. He takes down at least five of them immediately. And we see Uno and Ingtar are taking down prisoners as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, this this group of five fighters here, Uno, Ingtar, Masima, Perrin, Loyal, just like these five guys are like the band of the hand. It's like these five dudes could take on anybody. Unfortunately, though, they, they're faced by some channelers and they're taken down. 
Uh, but first, let's see. Ingtar commands Perrin to go rescue Loyal. Because when Perrin comes out, he's not doing anything. Like, he's supposed to be, like, one of our main characters, one of our main mm-hmm. guys. And he's just kind of standing around not doing anything. He goes to help Loyal out. And Loyal is, like, in a berserker rage. And we can see that Loyal can fight. He can throw dudes around like nothing. And this is this is Ogier for you. They're strong. They can build. They can fight. And they can read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're well-rounded. Yeah. Uh, Masima is obviously a blade master. I keep talking about him taking these guys down because he's, I think that he's probably like the actor who's like the most, <laughs> the most adapted at swords and stunts because they show him more than anybody else. I will say the stunt work on this entire scene, flawless. It's especially just swiping dudes. That dude rips. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Perrin tries to join in. They're outnumbered. And they're easily overpowered by these sentient channelers. And they soon find themselves all captives of the sentient. Um, Yeah, like even Uno is like whimpering weakly over here. Everybody's taken down. One person we do not see is Elias. Elias chose to sleep under the stars and to not sleep with everybody else. And we don't see him at all. So obviously he's not part of this and was not taken prisoner. Thank goodness. But the sentient empress arrives on her massive palaquin. It's like carried by like 40 slaves. Um, We recognize those. She has like those fingernails, like her, was it her index and her middle finger both have those claws on them. To do cocaine. Lots of cocaine. She can like, like (laughs) five rails up in there. Uh, we saw her at the Dark One Social. We saw those claws, and even during the recap, they showed us that again, just to make sure we know she's evil, she's a dark friend. Mm-hmm. And we see Ishmael next to her, obviously, so these are the bad guys. <laughs> she's also the embodiment of Eat the Rich. Oh, right, yeah. I just Of, of just being ca- literally carried on a pyramid that's so just walk just get a normal buggy do something it's fucked up <laughs> I and mean, we find out later she barely even speaks she makes other people even speak for her so we'll find out much more about them next episode because right now we don't we don't learn anything i don't even think they say anything at this point do they uh, she says one like a short thing of like, oh, are they ready? And then like the, that's right. the dark one says like they they need to be. Oh, that's right. And when he says that, he's eyeballing Perrin the whole time. You see him eyeballing him like multiple times. So it seems like he knows who Perrin is. Well, obviously he knows who Perrin is because in episode one, he was sending the same dreams to Perrin and Matt yeah. that he was sending to Rand. So, yeah, he's he's hip to Perrin. So yeah, we're almost at our last scene here. Did you have anything else before we get to our very last scene? No, I want to get to this last scene because it's so good. Yeah. All right, so Rand shows up to work the next day. Um, We learn that the dude he beats up, Jan, and the reason that he works at this whole place is pretty much just a ploy. (laughs) He just beat up that dude, Jan, to get Jan's position and his job. So now Ron, now Rand is the caretaker of Jan's old 
uh, person, which is Logan, as it turns out. This is why Rand got the job there and why he wanted his spot. He tells Logan that he and Logan have a lot more in common. That's where we end our episode, James. What do you got? What do you got about that? Just that reveal was great. Even though it's shown in the trailers of them talking, it just, you completely forget about that. And the reveal worked two thumbs up to this episode. Absolutely. I like the reveal too, because this whole time, like up until then, I'm thinking like how, you know, altruistic Rand is and how, oh, he's great. He's a nurse. He's helping people. It's like he is, but he's definitely got a goal in mind Mm -hmm. and he's working towards something here. And he's found our man Loghain and he's got that cool Jesus hair still. Um, I'm really happy that he came back this episode. So yeah, that's gonna, the end. That's the end of our episode, James. Did you have anything else there? I'm gonna start calling my nephew Brogaine. <laughs> Let's see. So now I want to get into. We got a little bit of feedback. If I can open my phone here, give me one second, please. Ah, feedback for this week. We got HB who wrote in, and they said. I listened to your Wheel of Time season one episode, (laughs) season two, episode one recap today. It was good. I laughed when James called them creatures trollops. Hell yeah, James. And I couldn't believe y'all didn't mention Lex Luthor when you mentioned bald headed villains. Oh, right. Lex Luthor is like the ultimate bald headed villain. Well, there's just so many (laughs) that like. Nicole could probably do a podcast on, hey, this is all the shit. Like, in the Dungeons & Dragons movie, I forget which pod, it was probably a Patreon podcast. She, she's like, yeah, there's, like, bald representation, but of course they're evil, and I think there's bald jokes. I think there are not bald jokes. It is, they're asking them to cover up, to hide the markings on their head, not the baldness of their head, because they are the (laughs) specific monk sect that has these markings. So that part, I'm like, "Eh, no. But like I said, when I said, hey, uh, there's a a person with alopecia in here, she said, okay, well, are they magical? Yes, they are. Well, are they a villain? No, that's the thing I'm excited about. And so the villain thing is a bald person being a villain, like James, but not James. Yeah. James Bond, Dr. Evil, all of these people, they are bald. Professor Xavier, the best guy in the world, bald also. Oh no. Michael Jordan. He's still, he's uh, still the good guy, right? Uh, people, he's iffy. Um, okay. <laughs> Zordon, I think is now being set to be like reskinned as the villain on Power Rangers, at least in the comics. Okay. No clue there. Bald, I suppose. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen anything else from Joya Sedai yet. We're going to keep tabs on her. I've already watched ahead to episode 3. Um I won't I won't spoil anything if she's in there or not. Um but here for episode 2, I definitely had, it was hard to narrow down my least favorite character because there was three contenders here. Um, It was easy for my favorite character though. Did you want to go first or should I go first? You go first. All right. Um, My least favorite character of this episode is Moraine. Um, I know she has a, a method to her madness, but she was just making me upset left and right. I don't like the way she's treating Lan Even if she has like an altruistic motive behind her, she's making him feel terrible. So Moraine, thumbs down for you this episode. I don't like this. 
Um, thumbs up to Elaine. I liked her a lot. I liked the introduction of this character. Uh, especially liked it when she um, wouldn't narken out her servants, taking the punishment for them instead. She brews beer. She likes to get drunk. Elaine's cool. She's my favorite this episode. Hell yeah. My f- least favorite lady on the pyramid. Don't have people carry that shit around. <laughs> Unless it's hollow. I doubt it is. And then my favorite was Min. She rocks. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, she is great. And we'll, we're going to see a lot more of her later. But yeah, what a great surprise to like, at first you're disappointed, like, oh shit, this, this hole I dug is just another cell. And it's like, oh hell yeah, it's men. We can hang now. That's great. What if he's like, I'm going to blow this wall out and just have a two bedroom. <laughs> Get out of here, men. This is my room now. <laughs> All right, James, I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, it's plug time. What you got to plug this episode, James? Hey guys, my new album, The Modern Myth, comes out Friday. It's a great album. MC Deep and I, we recorded a bunch of songs. Well, not a bunch. I recorded a bunch of songs (laughs) like five or six years ago and then sent it to him for verses. And then it took five or six years to get four of them back. He was going through some stuff. So I took those. They were over other beats. I remixed them. It sounds so good. You get three songs, then the three instrumentals out everywhere. Friday, September 15th. Every single month, I got new stuff rolling. And check out my other podcast, MLMPod.com, for information on that. And head over to Patreon.com forward slash MLMPod, where for $5 a month, you get exclusive content every single Friday and form a podcast. You got engaged with Nicolas Cage. This existed, mostly speaking Sentai after dark and a new one coming out is the citizens of townsville z where we are going through the aforementioned powerpuff girls z which is the japanese anime adaptation of powerpuff girls good stuff man Uh, i don't have a whole lot to plug um yeah nothing really forthcoming i have some music coming out with james but that's not till next month um but I'll plug it now anyway. James did a uh, song called Anal Dentata with Marsh. You're a Marshland monster with Dragon Boy Suede. No, and he's not on there. Oh, he's not? You've heard the song. <laughs> you remixed that. You're about to set up that you remixed the vocals. I could swear that there was a Howard Kramer verse in there. No, that's all me. <laughs> What am I saying, y'all? Why don't you check out Sweet Child of Time? Check out our back catalog. Um, check out Ana Dittata when it comes out. Decipher for yourself who's rapping and who's doing what. There's a bunch of remixes on there. It's very good. I've heard about three or four of them, and all of them are wonderful. I have a remix on there, too. And from us at Sweet Child of Time, we're taking off now. Until next week, I hope all the listeners always find water and shade. And James, I hope you always find water and shade as well. And the hour waits for no woman. Ooh, bye-bye. Bye.